Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. This week Shabbos Pashas Chukas. Also to note Shabbos Mavarchim Chedesh Tamuz. We are, tonight it's Chav Ches Sivan. The Koyach, as every month has, the Chav Ches, the 20th day of the month being the Koyach of the month. Pashas Chukas spoke many times. Talks about Zeis Chukas HaTeira. The Chuk of the Chuk of the Teira. I'm sorry, it's not Shabbos Shmuvarchem. Corrected. I stand corrected. It's Shabbos Shchidish Tammuz. Shabbos Shchidish and Machor Chidish. A very, very strange expression used. These are the chukim of the teda. We know the three types of mitzvahs. Mitzvahs, chukim, or mishpatim. Eidus, chukim, mishpatim. Chukim are the mitzvahs that we do not understand. We do not know what the reason for it. We know that Shleim HaMelech said on what he said about about Para Aduma, which we'll discuss. Zeis Chukas HaTayra, the Tayra says. This is Chukim of the Tayra. Technically, the language, the wording is wrong, because it's not talking about the Chukim of the Tayra, it talks about the Para Aduma. Hence, of course, it should say, Sorry. Zeis Chukas Hapara. These are the Chukim of the Para, of the ox, of the Para Duma, the red heifer. Why does the Tater refer to as Zeis Chukas Hapara? In the Medrash Rabbah, in Bamidbar, Bamidbar Rabbah, it's brought down when it comes to Mitzvah Para Duma, as we said. Omar Shleime Shleime HaMelech said Al kol eile omadati I understood and was able to withstand and to explain and find reason and rhyme for everyone every one of the mitzvahs Uparsha Shaparaduma Chakarti Vishoalti Ufishfashti When it came to Paraduma I went through every possible way to digest it, to interpret to interpret it, to understand it, to dissect it, whatever I could. Amarti I said, It's brilliant and it is far from me. I cannot grasp it. This is the only mitzvah of the Tate that Shleimah Melech could not find a reason for. There are many discussions as to what was his problem. What was it that he did not understand? What was it that he did not grasp? Take the paraduma, slaughter it, take the blood, mix it with certain waters, with grass, spray it, and the guy becomes tired. So what's so outlandish here? What is so off the charts that he could not understand this mitzvah? The mitzvah itself has a little twist to it. The person, the kayin, that takes the ashes, the liquid, and sprays this on a person that is tome, that is impure, 
the person that sprays becomes impure. What, what, according to one opinion, Shleim HaMelech could not grasp, how is it that the same concoction that's being sprayed is making this man pure and this man impure? Regardless how and what was the exact track that Shleim HaMelech did not grasp from this, the bottom line is he did not grasp most mitzvahs of the Teda have reasons that are understood according to Seichel. And obviously these are not necessarily the mahus of the mitzvah, not the essence. Every mitzvah is a, what, what God wants us to do, is the in HaKadosh Baruch And therefore his Ratzin is enough for us to understand and to grasp and to say, okay, I understand it's your command, and I'll do it. There are those reasons, though, that are understood to each and every, each and every one of the mitzvahs. Sorry. But there, there are those mitzvahs that have many, many reasons to them. But beside the fact that the Almighty wanted and commanded it. But understandable reasons... But still in all, within these mitzvahs, they don't really have a reason. The essence of the mitzvah is not, uh, not explained. Why we're doing the mitzvah, what's happening with the mitzvah, fine. But what is the mitzvah actually accomplishing? What is the mitzvah actually doing for us or spiritually? We don't have to necessarily grasp. And it's known, therefore, that the mitzvahs that are divided in many different parts, chukim, mishpatim, zed, edis, the chukim are the ones that officially we don't understand at all. Therefore, zeitz chukas hatera, because the mitzvah paraduma is the essence mitzvah of the entire tera. The chukah that this para is not only a mitzvah, but it's a mitzvah of mitzvahs. Because the essence of this mitzvah does not have any reason. Its reason is higher than understanding. And therefore it's this chukas ha This is the entire teda based on this way of, of chukam. In the beginning of the Pashas, we talk about Chukas HaTera. It talks about Ve'yikhu Elecha Paraduma, says the Tera. Meish Rabbeinu is told, take to you, take unto you a Paraduma. This is the key, the Shach on the Tera writes, Elecha, what is Elecha? To tell us a tremendous, interesting insight that's brought about from this. What's the Yikhu Elecha part of the wise Mesha told, take to himself, take unto you this paraduma. From here we learn All paradumas in the future that are going to be brought, says David will be based with your para. They will have to have something mixed in from your para. The ashes from the para duma that Meshach Rabbeinu brought was mixed in to each and every para duma thereafter, including the last, the tenth one, which is going to be Mashiach. And we see this because the pasuk says, ladas the It should be for the Jewish nation. It should be always watched. And from here we learn, Amr Abiyasi Bachanino. This is a hint, Remesh, Kalaparis, Kalkalis, Vishalmesha, Kayemes. All the other parts will finish, Meshes will always exist. Manashtana. What's the difference, Para Duma, than all the other mitzvahs of the Teda, which we know we get from Meshe Rabbeinu? 
Everything is connected to Meshul Rabbeinu. So much so, that there's a difference of the way the parish that were done. Yeah. In those times, <coughs> we have to mix into them the ashes of Paraduma from Meshul. The fundamental purification of Paraduma is not just the nullification of impurity, but it eradicates the essence, the root of the impurity. What made the person impure here? What was the person being sprayed for? He was sprayed because he became Tomela Mason. He became impure by touching a dead body. Huh? I know, a little girl, we know. <laughs> and we find by Meshra Benu, for those keeping score at home in Seta, Mesakta Seta, Daftes, the bottom of Omer Aleph, Shemaitsi the Mesha, Nitzchirmeim, the works of Mesha are perpetual. Not only what he did with his hands, but everything that has to do with Mesha. <coughs> Even though at the end of the Varim it says, Vayamos Shom Mesha, Mesha passes away. Chazal tell us, Loi Meis Mesha. Mesha did not die. Malahalan Eim of the Mishamish, Afkan Eim of the Mishamish. Again, referring to the same insect as Seta, if you're keeping score at home. On the bottom of Yud Gimel Amid Beis, on the bottom of thirteen side two, just like he always served, then now he serves as well. So, what do we find? One of the main important things of Meshir Abenu that is perpetuated, as we just said, the ashes of the Paraduma which make pure. That every Paraduma. Is always going to rely on Meshul Rabbeinu's ashes. The ashes of Meshul Rabbeinu. excuse me. Because only through Meshul Rabbeinu can we perpetuate the concept of purity and to wipe out the impurity. How do we wipe out? What impurity are we trying to wipe out? The impurity of death. But he's not doing it. The doing it. It's his, the ashes of Meshul Rabbeinu burnt though. The first one. Mm-hmm. and what is the idea it's not only to make the person pure but it's to elevate the person and to take away the impurity entirely to eradicate <coughs> what made the person impure so in essence what I, the idea is that Meshe Rabbeinu is causing that to eradicate the entire concept of death and this is what's going to be well, this is what we look forward to till the Para Asiri, which then will be Chaim Nitzchim. There's a chassid of Chonya Marozov. Chonya Marozov was once asked, Who's greater? The Rebbe or Meshe Rabbeinu? <laughs> so he said, The Rebbe. So the guy was a little shocked to hear such a word. He says, It has to be the Rebbe, because if not for the Rebbe, we wouldn't actually believe in Meshe Rabbeinu. Brings us to a point here. The Rebbe. That's a top seller today. A book today, that's that's two or three books that went out lately, (coughs) about the Rebbe. And they took off, they were out, they were sold out within hours. And they've been reprinted. And they're going like hotcakes. But if you come and you ask by Chassidim, no, what do you say about such a book? The general Chassid, a true devoted Chassid of the Rebbe, would say, eh. It's nicely written, well composed, gives us a little bit of insights. 
depict the Rebbe as the greatest Jew of the 20th century. As we say in New York, that and two and a half bucks get you on the subway. <laughs> many, many years ago, there was one of the senators went into the Rebbe on Yechidis. A New York State senator. And he sat with the Rebbe for an hour. And he came out and he told the secretary, I never realized what a great man your Rebbe really is. This is what happened. So I went into the Rebbe to discuss certain things that have to do with the Jewish community. And the Rebbe gave advice on all these matters. Explained everything that I needed to know. Then the Rebbe said, can I ask you a favor? Now at that point, my mind started to go into wheels and saying, "Uh uh-oh. Now he's just like all the other rabbis. He's looking for a payoff. Excuse me. He says, but what did the Rebbe ask me? Yeah. The house, my kid. What did the Rebbe ask me, says this New York State Senator. The Rebbe said, in downtown Manhattan, there's a little city called Chinatown. There's a community there. These people are quiet, they're reserved, they're hardworking, they're law-abiding, they're taxpayers. Most countries would treasure such citizens. But because Americans are so loud and boisterous and outgoing, the Chinese are not really looked at. They're unnoticed over there. They live in their own community, their own area and everything else. Nobody really notices they exist. The Rebbe said to him, as a senator of New York, I suggest, says the Rebbe, that you concern yourself with their needs. Senator says, I was overwhelmed. I was shocked. The Rebbe has thousands of chassidim and everybody that he could ask and he could tell me, help me with housing for my people, help me with this, help me with that. Instead of the Rebbe talking about chassidim and how the senator could help Chabad Lubavitch, the Rebbe was talking to him about getting government programs and help and the Medicaids and the food stamps and everything they need in Chinatown. This is what showed him that the Rebbe is a world leader. The Rebbe is not only a smart man sitting at a desk in 770 Eastern Parkway. Because the Rebbe channels his life for the entire world. This is what the senator told the secretary. The Meshit Abeno of every generation lives a life, conducts a life that helps and involves each and every human being in the generation. Um, I turned off the air conditioner. I better turn it back on. We're not talking about his local, in his zip code, in his area code, in his text range. I'm talking about worldwide. Bakram, now in the summertime, with their benazmanim, they're not sitting in yeshiva learning. They tend to go away to different far-reached cities, and they go bachrim two, usually two bachrim pairs, and they go to visit Jews from nowhere, Jews that never saw a Jew, Jews didn't remember, didn't know they were Jewish. 
The two such bachrim were in a, some fakrach in Allah, as we call it. Very few Jews were there. And they never were wandering from day to day to day, going crazy. And finally they got so frustrated, they wrote to the Rebbe, we're really not accomplishing anything here. And the Rebbe answered them immediately. There's a woman in the city that you're in, who was looking out of her window, and saw you walking by with hats, jackets, and scissors, and she was inspired, and she started to inquire, she made phone calls, she wrote letters, and today she's becoming from. Obviously this woman wrote to the Rebbe somewhere, somewhere along the line. <coughs> but goes to show us the Rebbe's reach throughout. Rabbi Yosef Weinberg is a very, very prominent lecturer, big Talmud Chachem, Siddhashiyid, and he did a lot of traveling. He traveled in the name of Chabad, but he never got on a plane without going into the Rebbe first, at a private audience, and giving the Rebbe his entire itinerary. One such occasion, he was going to South Africa. We're talking probably in the early 60s. And he came into the Rebbe and gave the Rebbe his itinerary. The Rebbe looked at it. And the Rebbe said, is there any way you're going to spend two days somewhere that's not on this itinerary? <laughs> he looked at the Rebbe. So what does that mean? You see my itinerary. Where am I spending two days somewhere? Just asking. That's it. Now in those days, unlike today where the planes have fuel tanks they can take you around the world, in those days to South Africa from New York City, you had a good couple of stops. One such stop was in Dakar. I'm not a great person in geography and that I know I'm not a world traveler to that extent that I've been to Dakar, but I've heard of Dakar. It's not a city that it shocked me when I heard the story. He was in Dakar. They landed in Dakar for refueling. And everybody got out of the... Everybody decided to get out of the plane and go into the lounge instead to get the little air, stretch your legs. So everybody deplaned. And Rabbi Weinberg found himself in a little corner and took out a safe and was learning. Five minutes, and a guy walks over to him and says, Excuse me. He says, Yes. He says, Are you a rabbi? He says, Yes. The man got so excited. He came to the other side of the table. He grabbed over Weinberg's hands with both hands, started shaking his hands. Pumping his hand. He was so excited, a rabbi. And he started to explain. So I'm Jewish, he says. Dakar, a Jew? He says, I have that same question. Dakar, a Jew? I'm not, I don't, I've never found another one. I'm the only Jew here. And I've looked, I've searched for Jews. But, but, um, I unfortunately even stopped putting on film. I'm here for business, the business goes well here. I only keep, the only thing I do is Friday night I make Kiddush for my family. Aside for that, they don't even know they're Jewish. But it's such a pleasure to see a Jew in Dakar. No. They had a nice discussion, and the plane started to board. So he and Rabbi Weinberg embraced, and they left. And Rabbi Weinberg boarded the plane, and that's it. About ten minutes into the flight, there was a tremendous jolt, and it didn't sound good. 
and people started to panic and the pilot was barely audible over the screaming and yelling the pilot said we had a problem one of our engines have blown we need to return immediately to the car and we'll get it prepared and we'll go right there <coughs> sorry no they turn around the plane they come back down they were able to land in the car and they go they start repairing and repairing and finally the captain comes out of the plane the mic and he says ladies and gentlemen we're sorry to tell you that the engine is totally blown it's going to take two days to repair everybody will be given hotels two days unlike today's days you pull up another plane and fly this was the plane he had he had food that he took with him he went to his hotel room he sat down he was learning and it occurred to him as he's sitting down to learn so what am I crazy we're here two days the Rebbe asked me if I'm stopping somewhere for two days so here's my two days the Rebbe doesn't want me sitting in a hotel room he went out on the street and literally started st- asked, stopping people on the street are you Jewish? do you know any Jews? are you Jewish? Kitzer either they were ignoring him because he looked like a, you know, a little strange or they didn't understand a word he was saying or they weren't Jewish one person finally says a Jew come and he takes him and he points him to a store and Rabbi Weinberg goes to the store and the man comes out and says yes I'm Jewish as a matter of fact, there are four other Jewish families here. As he's talking to the guy in the street of Dakar, along comes the friend from the airport. And he says, Rabbi, what are you doing here? Two days. So I'm here for two days, the engine broke, whatever. He says, let me introduce you to this other fellow, who's also Jewish. Divided the other fellow confided in Rabbi Weinberg and told him that he has a problem. That he's living here for many years and that he has a business here, a livelihood. And unfortunately, he's not getting younger, he needs to marry. And the chances of him finding a nice Jewish girl here in Dakar are very slim to none. So that, they called a meeting that night, they got all the Jewish people together and Rabbi Weinberg encouraged them to work on building some kind of communal issue try to put together a shul you don't know what kind of Jews are going to pass through here the Jewish community of Dakar started from this little meeting when he was leaving he asked Rabbi Weinberg what should I do I need to get married Rabbi Weinberg said travel to France and I'm sure you'll find Yerba Rabbi Weinberg left Dakar with a Jewish community starting to go into motion. Unbeknownst to him, until several months later, Rabbi Weinberg receives a letter from Dakar, from this fellow that he sent to France. In it is an invitation to the wedding in France, to the girl that he went and met and found and of course a ticket an airline ticket to Rabbi Weinberg to come and to join him at the wedding and as he came to the wedding he saw that all the the community of Dakar all came to the wedding also and that the Rebbe's two day stop was a lot more potent than he could have even imagined.
It is, as I said, Rishchidosh Tammuz. Next week will be Gimel Tammuz. And therefore, as a preparation to Gimel Tammuz, it's only appropriate to devote a lot of this sheer to the... I won't use the word legacy. We use the word hiskashus. Bonding, connection to the Rebbe. Um, but I'd like to return to the Pasha a little bit. And not on the Pasha itself, but rather Halach and Rambam, Hilchus Paraduma. The Rambam writes when it comes to Hilchus Paraduma at the end of the third Pedic. Teisha Parais Adumais Nasu. There were nine red heifers. Mishinitztavu b'mitzvah zu, from when the mitzvah was commanded, at shechorav abayis b'sheni, until the second base hamikdash was destroyed. Ve'hasiris and the tenth paraduma, yasa hamelech hamashiach, meheda yigale. Melech hamashiach will make, may we be redeemed quickly. Now the Rabbam is writing his Sefer Yadah only Halachas. We're also going to discuss a Rashi who discusses only the simple explanation. Also, that is not a simple explanation, this exposure. But if the Rambam writes only Halachas, why is the Rambam including a prayer? What is the halacha in that? Also, why count ten parasadumis? What is that relevant to the halacha? Chazal tell us, Elohim Tinu Yisrael Lemesha. If the Jews would have waited for Moshe and not done that terrible sin, the Maisa Eagle, then there would have been three things that never would have occurred. There would never have been any kind of exile. Two things. And the Malachamovis, the angel of death, would have no power over Jews. So we find therefore that death and tumor come about, and impurity come about through this. It all goes back to the sin of the eagle. And therefore, as we said before, the concept of death will be eliminated in the time of Mashiach. Like the Navi Yeshaya says, chapter 25, verse 8, Because at that point in time we will have completed doing repentance for the sin of the golden calf. Thereby, of course, no longer having the Malachamovis have any kind of influence on us. And therefore, everything would be in a different level. Now we understand what the Ramam is talking about. It's a formula. The ten parts that he's referring to is what's called a misper hashalim. It's a complete number. 
Nine is not a complete number. Ten makes it a complete, it rounds out number. The Rambam hints, in the days of Mashiach, when the completion of the kapara, the forgiveness of the golden calf will come about, and the concept of death will be eradicated, then Ruach Atum Ha'avim in Oretz, as it says in Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 2, that the impurity, the spirit of impurity, will be eradicated from the land, from the top of the world, and will be make Yasa Melech HaMashiach. Then Melech HaMashiach will do, will bring about the Parah Asiris, the tenth one. The tenth one being a completion of a complete cycle. And will make a completion of the purity of the impurity of death. So why does the Rambam put in the prayer that it should be speedily? In the Halakhas of Paraduma, the Rambam writes, Teisha Parasaduma is Nasu Mishnistavu Mitzuzu. Ashachar Vayas Mishaini. Asiris Yasamelech Mashiach Mugari Yodha Magratzen. Sorry. So we find therefore in here a major secret. Rambam is revealing to us in the concept of Emuna in Mashiach. How we need to believe in Mashiach. When we talk about the coming of Mashiach, the Rambam writes in Hilchus Malachim chapter 11, Halacha 5, Halacha 1. ma'min Anyone who has to show him does not believe in him. Or someone who is not waiting for his arrival. He is a kafir, he is a total atheist, he is a denier of Teda and Mesha. From here we see, it's not enough just to believe Mashiach's coming. We need to yearn the coming of Mashiach every day. The nature of a person, when he yearns for something, and is constantly minded, even if it's a roundabout way, it awakens within him the hergish. When you think about it, it starts to awaken within you the wants for this. Therefore, Rambam finishes off. To let us know how far this obligation of wanting Mashiach is. That the regish, the feeling of wanting the coming of Mashiach, needs to be so much so, that whenever I mention the word Mashiach, in an about way, we had just now... Um, the children were discussing somebody, and they walked into the house. And they discussed the second person, and they walked into the house. So what did the second person say when they said And they said, unfortunately they used the expression, speaking of the devil. What were they supposed to say, and what did that person actually say? Why weren't you talking about Mashiach? If whoever walked in the door walked in because you were talking about them, if you were talking about Mashiach, you would have walked in too. So by the mention of the word Mashiach, the person should have the awakening within him and feel, Oi, I need Mashiach to come. And not only the feel, but he should want to daven, should be mispalo for the coming of Mashiach. Vayaminu Bashem. They believed in a God and in Mesha simultaneously. In other words, that because they believed in one, they believed in the other, or vice versa? Or did they have that same level of belief in each one? This is a Rasha Kirl in Bnei Brak, who says that his parents were married for 20 years. 
and were not blessed with children. In 1947, the Rebbe traveled to France to meet his mother. The famous shul was called the Pletzel. In the Pletzel, this Rosh Hashiva's father met the Rebbe, who was not yet the Rebbe. He was a son-in-law of the previous Rebbe, but this guy knew that the Rebbe was somebody special. And the Rebbe said to him, Nuvos Mishpocha, how was your family? And the man started to cry, he burst out into tears and says, Unfortunately, we were not blessed with children. The Rebbe was holding his hand in his hands, and the Rebbe said to him, By next Pesach, you will merit the mitzvah of Igadatalavincha, that you must tell your child all about Pesach. Says this Rasha that by the next Pesach came around, this Rasha was two months old. He was born, and his father merited to say, to do the mitzvah of Igadatalavincha. Just a Ha'ar of Alma for Gimel Tammuz, actually. A slight mention. There was a couple that unfortunately, this other couple we just spoke about, did not have children. They never gave him a bracha. And a year later they had a child. But they didn't tell the Rebbe a child was born. The Rebbe was very pained by this, and the Rebbe said, I suffered with you in your sufferings. Why can't I rejoice in your joy? Till today, for those who have an understanding, a feeling, until today we can merit brachas from the Rebbe. Either going to the Eil or going to the Rebbe's Stender, going to the Rebbe's room. The Rebbe left over a tremendous legacy of letters in English and in Hebrew, Yiddish. Many people have asked the Rebbe questions and opened one of these books and have received a, a very, very clear directive and answer. Nobody is deterred from doing so. Barring the fact that, of course, in case there's something in the letter that the Rebbe asks of you, you better not play around with that. But when that happens, and I've had this story only two months ago, I believe I told it already, the secretary at Asbayawa Yeshiva called me up and said, Rabbi, we need to go to the Ohel. Her daughter is pregnant. And she's in the uh, seventh month, I believe she was. And the doctors on the fifth month said they didn't like what they saw. Head was too big. All the signs of a Down syndrome child. No, nothing for We have to go to the aisle. We went to the aisle. Myself, myself, the secretary, and her daughter, the pregnant daughter. And they took on a hachlota. They took on a special mitzvah. They took it upon themselves. We davened the aisle. And she asked, please, Rabbi, can you take out one of the books of letters? I want to hear a bracha. And the Rebbe gave a bracha to this woman that she should give birth to a healthy child and be a healthy mother, etc. This woman with her daughter walked out total new people. They had no qualm, no problem. They didn't look over their shoulders. They knew that the Rebbe's bracha was pure and true. 
the doctors after the baby was born was so sure that this was what they thought and what they saw they started to look and to try to squeeze and punch and poke the baby to see and the child is normal but they still weren't happy the doctors came in and did blood tests and chromosome testing to see (laughs) they have a beautiful normal baby I told the woman we need to return to go thank the Rebbe and she said yes I want to do that very much and Baruch Hashem we went back again and she stood and she thanked the Rebbe for his bracha and told the Rebbe exact reports and everything from the doctors as we say the way it has to be done we go off again the stories of the Rebbe for a second returning to the Pasha we'll talk about the Rashi before we talk about this um Vayachinu bi'iyeh ha'ravim ha'ravim Pasik says they rest in iyeh ha'ravim this is chapter 21 verse 11 Rashi says who? iyeh ha'ravim lo yadaiti lamanikra shmam iyeh I don't know why they're called iyeh vi lashen churvahi the word I is like a lashon of a churva, a place with nothingness there. Now, what, what's wrong, what's Rashi's issue here? First of all, we find many places that the names of something are enumerated, and Rashi doesn't explain it. What the name is all about? Why Avodim? Rashi takes the words Avodim and writes Lo yedaiti dominik I don't know why. <laughs> you don't know. Leave it alone. The Bechamish <coughs> Mikra, he is it. That's all he goes further. You didn't know it, you don't know it. <coughs> like the guy who said, the Amaris that said, I want to go up against a, a priest in a debate. And uh, the priest was known to be a scholar. And they were very worried. How, what's he going to say against this guy? And he asked the priest, What's Taich Leyadaiti? What's the translation of the words loyadaiti? And the priest said, I don't know, so they killed the priest. He didn't know. When they asked the Jew, My hi, how'd you pull that off? How did you know to say this thing? The Jew said, Very simple. I learned Chumash Rashi. And I learned Chumash Rashi, but I don't know the Taich. Baruch Hashem and Beis Yehudah is an Ivritaych. And the Ivritaych is in Yiddish. That I can read. So when it came to the words in Rashi, Leodaiti, I looked in the Ivritaych, and the Ivritaych writes, Ich weiß nicht. I don't know. I said that the Ivritaych doesn't know the translation. This guy doesn't know the translation for sure. But the word the translation was, I don't know. But. So Rashi, Leodaiti, what do you have to tell it for? Another thing, what are you telling me you don't know? And then you say, E is Lashen Chorva. You don't know. What are you saying you don't know? You're explaining it. You're saying, E is Lashen Chorva. By the word E, Russian Churves, Rashi is not coming to explain why it's called E Avorim. In the name Eim, he's not explaining why it's called this. The opposite. He's explaining why Leodaiti, why, why it's called Eim. Rashi says, I don't know why it's called Eim Avorim. What does that mean? I don't know. Ie is Lashen Churva. So we understand from this itself 
that the Yidin, the place the Yidin rested, was a nice settled place. Why would they stop to rest there if it wasn't a civilized place? It was not a Churva. So then I don't understand, says Rashi. If E is a Lashen Churva, why would the Yidin have rested there? So this is what Rashi didn't understand. Why it's called Iyim. It was a it was a settled, established place. <coughs> That's why Rashi writes over here. I have a separate question that I don't have in other places when it comes to a name of a place. This name of a place is different to me. I don't understand how it works. That Ie should not be something that is an established place. It refers to a place that's not that's uninhabited. This week's parsha we also learn about the passing of Aaron Akayim. Vayivku es Aaron shleishim yim kol beis Yisrael. The entire nation cried for the passing of Aaron Akayim. In Ovest Reb explains the simple reason why the entire nation cried. Aaron was a peacemaker. He made peace between everybody. When he saw there was a fight between two people, he told this one, he wants to make up with you, and he told this one, he wants to make up with you, and he made peace. Fact is, they were arguing, they were fighting. He was angry at him for him, he was angry for whatever it was. Where did Aaron come off to have the audacity to falsify information and say, hey, I know for a fact he wants to make up with you. Aaron was not a liar. The Rambam writes, Edin, when it comes to Hilchus Gitten, Although today's day and age in America they don't appreciate this din. And there's many Rabbanim today that are incarcerated or being tortured over it. Ramam writes, A person that has to give a get, and they forced him to give the divorce to his wife. He did not want to do it. Rashi writes, the Rambam writes, Bezdin, Makin Ani. You beat him until he says, I want. So, what's the value of this get? It should be invalid. He was beaten, it was coerced. The fact is, a person that the Yitzhahara got the best of him and got him to do an Aveda got him to do an Aveda and he beats the Yitzhahara out of him so he does not do the Aveda. But rather he forces it, the bad, out of it. And the same is here when we say that the person that wants to divorce his wife, he decided that he and his wife should not be together any longer. He wants to do the mitzvah and to stay away from far as possible from an actual sin. The sin he knows is the Yitzhahara has got a grip, a grip over him. So therefore he fights until he gets the way, the Yitzhahara away from him. When he forces him, he beats him until he says, I want, it's not because the fact of the matter is, he wants to do this. He wants to do the mitzvah. He doesn't realize the Yitzhahara has a grip over him. And therefore, 
Similarly, by every mitzvah in the Tera, so much more so, a mitzvah of the Yachach that who klal godl batera, the love of fellow Jew, which is a great generalization of Tera, the rotzen aprimi of a Jew, the inner yearnings of each and every Jew, is to do the mitzvah. Sometimes it doesn't look that way. Because his Yitzhahar has got the better of him. Therefore we understand when Aaron said to each one, the other guy wants to make up, it was not a lie. Because within the person's deep essence, he wants to give up, he wants to make up. Unfortunately, Yitzhahar gave him reasons to say, I don't want to make up, I don't want to forgive this guy. Aaron was able to reveal the inner most of a person, so the person saw that within him he wanted to make up, he wanted to stop the fight and the argument. Finish with a story of the Rebbe, a couple, family named Levi, and they had a perfectly healthy child, little girl, and she was talking and everything, and then unfortunately, one day she just stopped talking. Thought maybe it was a sore throat, a virus, something would go past. Days, weeks went by, and the child could not talk. They started to go to doctors and specialists, and the doctors and specialists said, this child has no cure. As a matter of fact, we have doubt what you're talking about, that she even spoke before. It makes no sense this child ever spoke. The Levies were at a loss. They were talking to a distant relative and they told about their problem and they told how the medical profession has no cure. The relative said, go to see the Rebbe. The Rebbe has helped many people. Go to the Rebbe. The Levis decided to take his advice. They went to the Rebbe in Yechidus. And in Yechidus they started to cry and told the Rebbe the whole story. Saying how the child was perfectly healthy. And all of a sudden stopped talking. And they need a bracha from the Rebbe. She should talk again. The Rebbe said the doctors are not lying. They're not fools. They're correct. Their assessment is right. It was a miracle the daughter spoke. But the daughter spoke until now because of a certain merit. She now needs a new merit. She needs to go out and encourage other children her age to follow the ways of Hashem, do mitzvahs and study Torah. The Rebbe turned to the little girl and said, Are you ready to do this mission? Yes. And the child said, I agree. The parents were shocked to hear the child's voice again. And the child henceforth involved herself always with other children and helping them. And in that merit, she regained her voice. So in this merit of all that we do in preparation for the special day of Gimel Thomas, which is the day that we yearn as every other day. We should be zeicher that this Shabbos, that Shabbos means Baruch Bekuli Yemen. Shabbos blesses all the days of the week. So some people even prepare an extra kugel so that you have something, an extra Michael. For the Shabbos of Rishchidosh, something extra. The extra thing that we should have this Shabbos is that extra mitzvah, the extra brachas, the brachas that we say when we greet Mashiach Tzidkenu, they should still be resonating from when we say them tonight when we see Mashiach. And we should say to the Geula Hamitas Vashlema, Ayyudei Mashiach Sitkeinu, Shabbat Shalom to all.